You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Pit is brought to you by Click Studios. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you take on your next home improvement project. What's on your to-do list? Slide it over to ours with a call to us at 1-888-MONEYPIT or post it to the community section at moneypit.com. We've got a great show coming up for you this hour. First up, painting is a popular winter project, and it's one that can be made a lot easier if you know just a few tricks of the trade that the pros use every day. We're going to break the code of professionals and share those trade secrets in just a bit. And also ahead, since the new president seems to really enjoy decorating with gold, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the White House is looking like in the next coming months. I mean, we could be getting some crazy gold furniture. But listen, guys, gold is great in limited quantities and in the right places. So we're going to help you bring in that gold decor in the right way, on a dime. Plus, we've got some organization tips for closets, and we'll be taking your calls to one eight 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 Money Pit eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Let's get to it, Leslie. Who's first? Kathy in Missouri, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? We've got a modular home, and we have a crawl space, and we have uh, settling around it. I was wondering about our pipes and uh, if is there going to be a problem with us not getting dirt around it this year. So, right. First of all, you have a crawl space and you have settling of the soil around the foundation perimeter, but you're worried about your pipes, what, in terms of freezing, that sort of thing? Yes. Have you ever had frozen pipes before in that space? No, we've only been in here since the fall of 2014. And last year was really a very mild winter, so it was the winter before. Well, first of all, if the pipes are exposed in the crawl space, they, they should have insulation on them. So if the insulation covers them, or if not, you could have additional insulation. There's a type of insulation called pipe insulation, which is like a tube that sort of snaps around the pipe. Very easy to add. So that's something you could do. To the settling issue, yeah, it's very common for newer homes to have soil that settles over the first few years. And... I would probably put this off until the spring, but what you're going to want to do is add clean fill dirt, which is not very organic. It, it will pack very well, and you can get the grade built up so you have a slope that drops off about six inches over four feet. And then once you have the grade established with the additional dirt, then you can put some soil on it or some sod or however you want to you know, plant around that foundation perimeter. But, but most important, this is something you can do right now, is to make sure your gutters are clean, and make sure the downspouts are extended at least four feet from the house. The reason that's important is because the soil is so settled that if the water collects around the foundation perimeter, it could end up right back in that crawl space, and that's not a good thing. So take care of the gutters now, and in terms of the pipe insulation, 
you can certainly add some more if you find exposed pipes, okay? That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much. Jeff in Michigan's on the line with a roof leak. What is going on? Well, a couple months ago, we had a brand-new roof put on our house. They completely stripped off the old shingles, re-tar-papered everything, and now we have water coming in our drywall in our bedroom. So I presume you've called the roofer back. What's the roofer's position been on trying to get to the bottom of this leak? Well, they're supposed to come back out on Wednesday and strip it off around the dormer. That's where it seems like the water's coming in. But as we all know, water can travel before it finally finds the scene to come in. So does it look like the leak is showing up underneath where the dormer intersects with the roof? I'm thinking so. Well, look, they may not have put that, they may not have put the flashing assembly back together correctly. They obviously had to disturb all that flashing, the old flashing, and unfortunately, I've seen a lot of times when roofers today just don't do a, a terrific job on the flashing, on those details. It's really, really important that they get them just right. And if these guys didn't do that, then that might very well be what the cause of this leak is, because you not only do you have to protect against just, you know, regular rainfall kind of falling with gravity, you also have to protect against wind-driven rain, which is particularly troubling around a dormer. So I think it's their responsibility. I don't think they get to blame it on the siding or anything else. You know, they broke it, they bought it. You know, they took it apart, need to get it back together so it doesn't leak. And if that means they have to pull off some of that siding and flash up under it, then that's that's on them, not on you. Okay? Right. Okay. Perfect. That's what I'll do then. All right, Jeff. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Jim in Ohio is on the line with a question about insulation. What are you working on? I'm looking at remodeling my basement, and I'm looking for something with uh, that's going to help insulate it, plus dampen some of the sound from the basement. So a couple of things. Um, first of all, do you want to insulate the foundation walls, or do you just want to insulate the basement ceiling? Actually, both. So there's a foil-encapsulated fiberglass bat insulation that's designed specifically for basement walls, the foil has a, a water resistance to it, so it stands up to the moist, damp area. So that's something that you could do there. Okay, great. In terms of the insulation, you could use standard fiberglass insulation, but contrary to popular belief, fiberglass insulation by itself is not a, a, a material that's going to block a lot of sound. If you want to block sound, you probably should use a sound-resistant drywall. There are different types of drywall products. I think one's called Quiet Rock. There are others that once you apply it to the ceiling, you apply it like normal drywall, but it's a lot heavier, and it has sort of a sound-resistant batten structure to it. It's also much more expensive. But you can special order at a home center and use that on the ceiling, and, and that will make it quieter. But the devil is in the details when it comes to quiet construction. And wherever you have like a ceiling fixture or light fixtures or, or any kinds of uh, perforations in that ceiling, they have to be packed also with a soundproofing material, which kind of looks like a clay that sort of fits behind it. But if you just want to try to do you know the best you can without going to that level of detail, then maybe just apply the sound-resistant drywall, and you know it'll be probably the quietest basement on the block. Great. Thank you. That, that works. 
You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. It's a new year, guys. We've got a new president. What are you working on to make your Money Pit in tip-top shape for this new year? Give us a call. We'd love to give you a hand. 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, perhaps you've noticed that our new president seems to have a penchant for decorating with gold. Truth be told, all that glitters, though, is not gold. We've got some tips for getting just the right amount of gold decor into your home without that gold price. That's all coming up after this. You live in a body pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring, we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Today's Money Pit is presented by Mr. Beams, lighting solutions that can be installed in five minutes. No wires, no electrician, no kidding. Find Mr. Beams lights at major retailers and learn more at MrBeams.com. Making good homes better. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at MoneyPit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And what are you working on this chilly January weekend? We'd love to help you get that project done around your home. Give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. All right, let's head out to Arkansas where Ann's got a question about a hot water tank. What's going on, Ann? I have an unoccupied house. And the hot water heater is on a screened-in porch. It is partially protected on two sides. And the temperature is going to be down in the low teens for a couple of nights. And for 48 hours or so, uh, the temperature will not be above freezing. How long is the house going to be unoccupied, Ann? Oh, I don't know. I mean, is this the kind of thing where, you know, it could be this way for months? Yes. Well, if it's going to be that way for months, I would drain the water. I would drain the water heater. I would drain the plumbing system. And I would leave the heat on uh, a low setting because we don't want the building to swell. We don't want the doors to swell and that sort of thing. So I'd leave the heat on like around 55, 60 degrees. But I would definitely drain the plumbing system because there's really no point in leaving it on. And if you do, you could get a, a pipe freeze and a break. Does that make sense? Okay. I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Justin in Missouri's on the line with a bathroom odor. Let me tell you, Justin, I have had the sulfur smell in my bathroom before, and we can help. What's going on? I can't really find the source of the smell. I just smell it sometimes, and it's not all the time, but uh, I've noticed sometimes whenever it's 
like warmer weather outside and it cools off. I know it sounds funny, but I get this smell. I can't find it. I um, There wasn't a P-trap in the bathtub, and I put one under there. I thought maybe that's where it was coming from, and that didn't do anything. And um, the house was built in 2007, so it's just almost 10 years old. I don't know. It's clean. That's unusual for a 2007 house to not even have a trap under the tub. It makes me question how the rest of the plumbing was put together. But there's probably two sources that you should explore. Number one is just a decay of of, of biomaterial in the drain. Sometimes you get what's called biogas from all the uh, organic material that gets trapped in the drain and in the threads and in the overflow, like on a like on a bathroom sink. That all gets trapped in there, and that can you know really be quite smelly. So a couple of things you can do there is first of all close the drain on the sink, fill it up till it starts to overflow, and then put some bleach in the water and let it slowly sort of trickle down the overflow for a while. That will kill any material that's in the overflow, and then slowly let the water back out into the drain. That'll hopefully kill the rest of it. The other thing is if it turns out that it's just the hot water. It could be a problem with the water heater. Water heaters have something called a sacrificial anode. And um, that anode, if it's worn, you can end up having a sulfur smell as a result of that. The anode is designed to stop the water heater from corroding or rusting. But if it is um, deteriorated or worn out, you could also get that sort of rotten egg, sort of sulfur smell. So I would take a look at the drains first because that's the easiest thing to do and see if you can clean them really good with a bleach solution as I've described. And if it continues, try to figure it out if it's coming from the water itself because if that's the case, then I think that anode is most likely the culprit. Okay? Okay. Thank you, sir. Well, we've seen a lot of interviews uh, with our new president now over the last couple of months. And whenever he seems to be in a residential space, I noticed that it was always decorated with gold, at least if it was one of his spaces. And I got to say, and look, you know, you and I are on opposite sides of the political spectrum, but I have never seen one of these rooms that he's in that looks anything but comfortable. I mean, it always looks awkward, and there's just way too much gold. Come on, you know he probably has a room on the side with, like, overstuffed like a man cave? and everything yeah. is like... Well, maybe. You no, know, you know there's, like, an actual family room somewhere, somewhere right? you hope that they can actually sit and be comfy, because everything is, like, marble and gold and columns. It's ridiculous. Yeah, but you know what? All that gold is probably not gold, as you and I both know. So we thought it might be fun to give you guys some tips on how you can add just a little bit of gold to your decor without spending gold on it. So let's start with something as simple as a glass vase, right? Sometimes it's kind of cool to have just a plain glass vase, but with something a little sparkly inside. Here's a tip for putting gold nuggets in that vase. You pick up a pound or so of kidney beans, right? Dried kidney beans, and you spray them with gold spray paint. Got to kind of turn them over a few times, but when it's all dry, they look like gold nuggets. You drop them in the glass vase, use it as an accent piece. Looks fantastic. Cost you all of about three bucks. Yeah, the other thing I like to do is when you see, you know, groupings of picture frames, almost like a library style or gallery style, I should say, you can take some of those frames and spray paint them gold or even gold leaf them just so they get that more foiled gold look. The other thing I like is, and don't do all the frames, maybe just do one or two in the group, or maybe just do the four corners sort of on a diagonal. The other thing I like is, in addition to doing a couple of the frames, 
take the matting of one or two of the other frames that you're keeping with the natural wood or whatever the painted finish is and paint those mattings in that gold or the gold leafing because that really looks good as well. And that gives you sort of that rich look without, you know, too much look of gold. Now, wouldn't it be nice if you had sort of a pirate's chest full of gold coins, right? I mean, that would be cool to have. Well, here's how you can have it if you don't eat the product in the process. Get some Oreos and spray paint the Oreos gold. They look like it's gotta big, be edible gold, fat, Tom. Gold. They look like big fat gold coins when they're all stacked up in that pirate's chest box. And you can prop it on the on a desk or dresser in your man cave. Just don't eat them. That's true. The other thing I like is gold side pieces of furnishings. You know, even if it's just a gold frame with like a you know sort of a gray or white marble top or a glass top, just bringing it in in very small you know small elements, I think is the right way to use gold because we all know gold is in, just not in a Trump style. That's way too much, guys. Like a gold throw pillow, something like that. If you wanted to have um, some other types of vases, you could take like old-fashioned milk bottles, spray paint them gold, or even silver. I mean, these paints that are available today are fantastic. And by the way, if you had something like um, a plastic tray, plastic storage drawer, anything like that, you can spray paint plastic today. The spray paints are so fantastic that they can adhere very well to plastic. So you could do little accent pieces with those as well. Yeah, I actually saw a plastic storage drawers. You know, it's like that plastic frame with the plastic drawers that pull out. You can paint the frames, not the drawers. Keep that part clear. But the part that would be white or black, depending on what color you bought, spray paint that with a gold plastic spray paint. It looks so rich and suddenly something that you had hidden in a closet you can actually put out in your office or in your family room or in your kitchen, wherever you might need it. You know, there's really good ways that you can bring in gold in small amounts in the right amount in the right places that'll work and it'll have you feeling rich and lush in no time. 888-666-3974. If you want to talk decor or home improvement, home repair, pick up the phone and call us right now at 1-888-MONEYPIT. Kathy in South Carolina, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I have a problem with the squirrels chewing into my roof. Okay. And I was wondering, how can I, what can I repair this with, and what can I put in there to keep them out? Now, where are they chewing it? Are they chewing through the trim or the soffits, trying to get into the attic space, or what's the story? Well, they have gotten into the attic space. The holes, are you repairing those holes, or what are you doing? No, I was calling you to see how you could help me, because I listen (laughs) to your show all the time, and you give such good advice. Well, if they get into your attic, you can trap them and release them. You can use something called a -a have-a-heart trap. And this is a trap that is a wire cage with a trap door, and the way to bait it is to take an apple and put it in the far end of the cage and wire the apple to the cage. Don't just put it in there. But usually I'll take like a, a hanger or a piece of picture frame wire or something like that, and I'll thread, thread it through the apple and wire it off so that it can't bounce around. And if they're in the mm-hmm. attic, they'll come looking for that food. They'll get trapped in there. Then you can pick the whole cage up and take it far away from your house and then release them. And believe me, as soon as you lift the door up there, like out like a, like a light, they just fly right out there and they'll take off. They want nothing to do with you. So it's completely safe. Now, in terms of those holes, you have to repair them. Now, you can put, uh, if it's a small hole, you could put steel wool in it or something like that. But if it's a bigger hole, you really should simply rebuild it or repair it, whatever it takes. So if it's, you know, it's wood or if it's vinyl or if it's metal soffit material, you really just need to completely 
uh, rebuild that. And then the other thing I'll mention that seems to have been pretty effective over the years, and that is if you were to put mothballs down in your attic, uh, that does seem to have a deterring effect on the squirrels as well. So if you spread them. Mm -hmm. It will, though. That odor does seep into the house, so don't go crazy with it. Right. You sprinkle them in there, yeah, especially along the eaves. But is there anything else I can put up there uh, to keep more from coming in? Well, we want to identify the holes and get those fixed. It's really an entry issue. You've got to basically close the door on them here. And so if we can identify those holes in those entry points and seal them up, then then you shouldn't have a problem with squirrels. They don't naturally live in the attic, but they're obviously finding a way into your house. Um, if mm-hmm. you're not quite sure where they're getting in, uh, you obviously can't get in there, up there, to kind of look that closely. Then work from the street level, walking around the outside of the house and looking up. Try to get a pair of binoculars or bar- borrow one and see if you can spot the holes where they're getting in. But that's what has to be closed up. Okay, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Hey, is there an inside painting project on your to-do list this winter? Well, Kevin O'Connor from TV's This Old House is stopping by with some pro tricks of the trade to make that project easier after this. This is Joe Namath. Now, when I'm not throwing a football around, I'm listening to Tom and Leslie. On the Money Pit Radio Show. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, now that we are knee-deep into winter, have you ever wondered if there was a more efficient way to build a home that would cost less to heat, 
and cool? Well, it turns out that one of the most efficient ways to build at least the exterior walls of your home is hundreds of years old. We're talking about log cabins. Yep. Homes that are made from logs, they actually score very big in R value. That's a factor used in calculating energy efficiency. And the reason is because the walls made from logs, they actually contain millions of tiny air pockets, and those store cool air in the summer and warm air in the winter. So it's a pretty classic construction, and it can definitely be very energy efficient. Pete in Illinois, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Well, I got lime deposits in my toilets, and I've got probably five toilets in my house that I'd like to get them out of it. You know, they're around the, the upper part of the rim where the water comes out, okay. and then down in the bowl. And I've tried lime away, and I tried a vinegar soak. Maybe I just didn't do it long enough, but I, I'd like to find a way to get the, those lime deposits out of there and get my toilets looking nice. Have you tried CLR? Yes, I have. You have tried CLR, and CLR didn't do it either? Didn't do it, no. Well, Pete, if the commercial cleaners like CLR and LimeAway are not working, there's a couple other things that you can try, but you have to be very careful. One of them is to use something that's abrasive like pumice or like a rubbing compound, and you can try to abrade away the deposit. Theoretically, these uh, abrasives are softer than the porcelain, but you have to do it very carefully. You don't want to rough the surface of the porcelain because if you do, it'll get dirtier that much quicker um, the next time around. Some folks also use muriatic acid. Mm -hmm. I don't like to recommend that because it's pretty harsh stuff, and you know you got to be super, super careful when you use it, but it is, yeah. it is a possibility as well. And then, you know, the other thing that you can try is you did use vinegar, but I don't know if you mixed it with baking soda. Yeah, because that helps. That helps as well. You kind of make it into a paste and let it stand for a while, and then you rinse it. Okay. So there's a couple of additional things that you can try. I also found a great article online. Whenever you find an article from a university or an extension service, it's usually pretty well-researched. And if you just Google removing mineral deposits and North Carolina cooperative, you'll find it. And it's an extensive article that's a little old, but has a lot of great suggestions in it and specifically has solutions for the different types of deposits that you get on these fixtures, whether it's rust, iron, copper, you know, what kinds of stain it is and so on. That sounds great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Well, a gorgeous banister and a dramatic newel post can add a stylish look to your stairs. But years of manhandling, and if you've got kids constantly swinging on those banisters, can lead to shaky stairs and loose railings. Well, the fix for many of these problems is fairly easy. I guess if you're Tom Silva, the general contractor for TV's This Old House, he's going to join us now with some tips so that we can do it ourselves. Welcome, Tommy. Well, thank you. It's nice to be here. Now, uh, the stairs and the rails take a lot of punishment, so loose posts are pretty normal wear and tear, right? They sure are. Kids coming down the stairs, swinging on that new post to get to the kitchen in a hurry. They it's always like, loosen it. got to hit that landing, <laughs> got to swing around the post, and you got to go brrr, yeah. down everything. Right. Every spindle That's on your way. a good way to do it. Brrr, I like <laughs> So let's start with securing those loose posts. Where do we begin? Well, you know, you got to assess the situation, see how it's put in there. And lots of times you can actually drill a hole right through the side of the post and into the stringer or into the edge of the um, riser or even the tread. Okay, so basically you want to try to 
uh, improve the connection point between that post and portions of the stair, the stringer being the side of the stair uh, or the riser, the part that your foot sort of bumps into when you step on the stair, the vertical piece, or the tread, which is, of course, the horizontal piece you step on. Any of those solid wood connections uh, with the right kind of hardware can tighten up that post? Absolutely. The stringer is the structure to the whole stair system. It's that sawtooth cut that makes everything support and rest on. And if you can get into that with a good, solid uh, fastener, you can usually tighten up that newel post. Now, I guess that gets harder when you don't have a newel post. If you have, say, a, a balustrade or a, what's it called? A French... Uh, that fancy curl at the bottom. Bullnose thing at the bottom. Yeah. Oh, the, 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 the volute. The volute. The volute. The volute. Right. I knew it was French, did it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you guys just made that up. I'm going to no, go no, with the fancy turnout. I like the bottom, the bottom right? You know what I mean? It looks like a birdcage, right? So yeah. that's got to be tougher because there's a lot of connection points there. There's a lot of connection connection points there and I've done those where lots of times where you go into an old years ago what they would do is they take the newel post and they would put it down through the floor and they would cut a they would extend it down through the floor framing about four or five inches and they'd have a hole in it where they would drive a wedge into that hole and then pull it down to the floor. Well, what I've done in some situations where I can get down below it, I've actually gone under the floor, figured out where the new post is, drill a hole through the subfloor and into the underside of the newel post, then fasten that down with a long lag bolt. So work from the bottom up. If exactly. You can't work from the yeah. top Sometimes down. that's the way you have to do it. Right. And what if the treads themselves start to become loose or creaky? What can you do to get to those? Well, you can nail them back in, or you can actually put a screw into the into the stringer, the structural part mm-hmm. of the stairway, and to find that stringer, you can look on the stair tread itself, and you'll see where the old nail holes are, and uh, you can put a, a finished screw in there. There's actually a screw that you can use that will drive down through the tread, and the head will snap off just below the top surface of the wood, and you can just fill it with a little putty. Now, what about loose spindles? As you guys were talking about, kids come down the stairs, and they love to run their fingers across those spindles. They can get loose. The spindles don't really contribute that much to the structural integrity, but they can be kind of annoying. How would you tighten them up? Well, it depends on how they're fastened. Some are square on top, square on the bottom. You can toe-nail them into the railing and toe-nail them into the uh, this tread. Uh, if they're round on the top, they may be in, in a dowel hole. Uh, and the tread, it, it, and let's say the baluster is coming off or loose, sometimes you can pick it up, get it out, uh, and then put some glue in the holes, push it back into place. Uh, the other way is around I've actually taken nails and put them on an angle from the underside of the outside of the stair tread. If it's an open riser, obviously, you can get a nail into that uh, bottom side of the baluster. And the trick I've always used with that is to actually make the finish nail be the drill bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just kind of uh, carve a, a path through that baluster so it doesn't split. The finish nail is a great drill bit. <laughs> <laughs> People don't realize it, but you're drilling the exact right size hole. Now, what about attaching handrails? They take as much uh, punishment as the, the rails that are on the open side of the step, but the rail that's on the closed side of the step attached to the wall. Very often, you can't get a good attachment point for some of those brackets. I've seen brackets that are wider than the stud, for example, so you can only get maybe two out of three 
three holes into something that's meaty behind it. Any tricks of the trade for securing those up? Uh, well, it, you're right. They can get loose at the wall if there's nothing behind there for that. And it's a good on um, good part of a builder to always make sure that there's good nailing behind the walls for those particular reasons. But they have these finished blocks that you can actually cut off the railing, say about three quarters of an inch, to allow for the thickness of this square oval around bracket that you would put that's wider and higher than the railing itself that will allow you to get screws into some structure and then screws into the railing. So attach the block solidly, then attach the rail to the block. Exactly. Makes sense. Great advice. Tom Silva from TV's This Old House. Thank you so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks. All right. Catch the current season of This Old House and ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And This Old House and Ask This Old House are brought to you on PBS by The Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Up next, could you use some more closet space? Well, reorganizing could be the solution. We'll be back with tips after this. You live in a body pit. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, where we make good homes better. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And hey, if you're feeling the squeeze on closet space, organizing is a really good wintertime project, and it all starts with a plan, figuring out what you want to keep in the closet and what might well be stored somewhere else. Now, whenever I tackle this kind of project, my first step is always to empty the entire closet and give it a good cleaning. It really serves two purposes. Yes, we can clean it that way, but more importantly, I get to see everything that I've stuffed in there over the years, and it makes it easier to make some decisions on what needs to go back. Yeah, and that's when the sorting starts. You know, you really want to figure out what you want to donate, toss, or sell, because it's going to be a lot easier to reorganize that space when it's empty. So figure out which items you're going to use the most and make them the easiest to access. Now, that's really a free deal. DIY project that can make you feel great when it's done. And we're here to help you get your home improvement projects done at 888-MONEY-PIT. Kathy in Massachusetts is on the line with a crumbling basement wall. Tell us what's going on at your Money Pit. Our house was sold about 1802. That's the earliest records that we have. And the chimneys are literally turning to dust in the basement. The bricks themselves, they're not just crumbling. They They have become dust. And I need to know... Is there anything we can do to salvage them? Or if we take them down, does it compromise the stability of the whole building? Well, it definitely would not compromise the the stability of the building because chimneys are not part of the structure. They just hold themselves up. Now, are these active chimneys or inactive chimneys? Are they being used for a fireplace or for the heating system? No, we are afraid to use them for fireplaces. Okay. No, that's, that's wise. Well, how is your heating system being vented, Kathy, if it's not through the chimney? There's two fireplaces in the building that extend up to the second floor to the roof. Um, and we have we have a gas boiler that is vented through one of them, but we can actually vent it to the outside. Is the chimney that's deteriorating the one that the gas boiler is in? Both of them are. One of them was a cooking oven back in the 1800s. They used it for a school for young girls and taught them the fine arts of cooking. And it, that is a large walk-in fireplace. And it's just totally crumbled. The bricks are falling out, and a lot of it's just dust. 
The other one is a little better shape, but it's still turning to dust. All right. Well, first of all, um, it would be highly unlikely that either of them are safe to use because they're not lined. Now, the process of lining, there's a number of ways to do that, but one process of lining is where they drop a tube down the middle of the chimney itself, and they pour they pour a concrete kind of slurry mix around the outside of the tube, and then deflate the tube and pull it out. That process can actually make the chimney stronger. If, if that's something you're interested in, you could explore that. It's probably costly. Um, if you want to just get rid of the chimneys and the fireplaces, then that's totally fine. And what you'll do is essentially disassemble them from the top down and then roof over the openings. As long as you're not going to use them and you have no plans for it, I see no reason to keep them. All right. Sounds like a good plan for us. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Jim in Tennessee is on the line with a concrete cracking up issue. Tell us what's going on. Yes, I have a concrete driveway that every winter... Uh, it seems to, the cracks seem okay. to separate. Yep. I've, I've used several different things, like uh, cement, but the cement crumbles. Um, of course it does, Jim, <laughs> because cement is not a good uh, patching material. It oh, doesn't okay. expand and contract. It doesn't stick properly. What you need is an epoxy patching compound. Epoxy compounds are designed specifically to stick to the concrete uh, floor that you have and to not crack and recrack. Anytime you try to use regular cement and fill something in, there's just not enough uh, uh, base there, so to speak, mm-hmm. and it will continue to open and close and expand and contract and turn into little chunks of, of concrete that will fall out. Oh, great. Hey, I, I had no idea. <laughs> and it's an easy fix. Take a look at the uh, QuickCrete website. Uh, there's a number of products out there designed specifically for this, but make sure it's a patching compound, and it'll do a much better job. Hey, we love your show. I tell you, you get a lot of good tips on it. All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Up next, if you think maintaining your Money Pit is a hassle, just consider what it takes to keep the people's house running. We're going to share a few fun White House facts next. Hey, 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 Money Pit! Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Well, now that we have a a new first family in the White House, have you ever wondered what it takes to actually take care of that house? Well, when it comes to home improvement, peening alone takes, ready for this, 570 gallons just to cover those outside walls. Almost 600 gallons of paint. And that's just one of the many tasks that's taken care of by an exhaustive team of plumbers, carpenters, electricians, and even 33 handymen. That would be a great (laughs) retirement job for me. I'm a handyman at the White House. All right, guys. Well, if you need some help around your White House or your brick house or your money pit, whatever you want to call it, we're here to give you a hand. You can post a question online. I've got one here from John in Pennsylvania who writes, is there a way to keep snow from forming at the edge of my roof and collapsing the gutters? Yes, actually, um, there is. So, John, what you're talking about is, is technically an ice dam. And the reason an ice dam happens is because if you think about it, your roof extends beyond the exterior walls of your house, right? And the insulation that's right above the ceiling of your home is supposed to stop the heat from the house of getting up into that roof. But it doesn't always do a good job, especially if you don't have enough insulation 
or if you don't have enough ventilation in the attic space. So the heat from the house goes up through that insulation and it starts to melt the snow that's directly over the heated area of the house. That melted water will work its way down until it gets to that overhanging roof edge, which remember now is very cold, right? Because there's no heat under it. And that's when it starts to build up. That's when it freezes and it and it can cause ice dams, which means water backs up behind it and end up in your house. It can definitely freeze and expand and push those gutters right off. So secret is a couple of things. First of all, get up in that attic, make sure you got 15 to 20 inches of insulation. And number two, make sure you've got good ventilation. You want to have ventilation at the soffit. So the air gets under that roof soffit, goes up underneath the roof sheathing and exits at the ridge. If you've got good insulation and good ventilation, you really won't have to worry about those buildups at the roof edge. Those icicles are pretty, but they're also very dangerous to your house and to you. You can always use them as an excuse, like in the Christmas story, which I'm sure we all watched when he shoots his eye. (laughs) Oh, the icicle. I got the icicle in my eye. But truly, if you see them, you need some work on your roof. Next up, we've got a post here from Ben in New Hampshire who writes, I paid a lot of money for copper guttering. It performs perfectly, but it's turned a dirty green color. Is there any way to remedy this? Oh, that's called patina. Yeah. And you have paid extra for that, too. So you better learn to love that you, buddy. You know, that's what happens to cutter, to copper. It turns that beautiful green patina color. And so seriously, you need to learn to appreciate that. If you want to stop that from happening, yes, you could lacquer those copper gutters. But, man, you're going to be doing that every season. So just deal with it. It's a beautiful, beautiful material. As you know, it's very expensive. And that green patina is absolutely gorgeous. So just learn to love it. I mean, it really does look gorgeous. And if you have a brick home, that sort of verdigris, that green copper look, it really goes really nicely with that brick finish. So just learn to enjoy it. It might take some time, but it's really going to be gorgeous. I mean, aside from the expense, the only other downside of copper is that it's soft. So sometimes you get a little erosion in the leaders. But other than that, I mean, it's great stuff. So it's fantastic that you've got it. You just got to learn to love it, man. Yeah, it's really nice. So do love it. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. That's all the time we have for this hour of the show. Thank you so much for spending this beautiful January weekend with us. If you've got questions and could not get through the show, remember, our lines are open 24-7. So please call us anytime you can with that question, and we'll get back to you the next time we're in the studio. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Oh, no.